guys, survivors, and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 62, and it's a unique edition indeed as we look at the 2015 theatre production of Biohazard The Stage. My name is Cy, and joining me on the panel this week, speeding towards those concession stands like a tyrant, it's Fire Button Steve Valance. Hello, everybody. Posh Brown is only afraid of the dark because that's where this edgelord lives. From Steamforged Games, it's Sherwin Matthews. <laughs> why am I always the edgelord? <laughs> why, why is it my fate? I mean, it's true, but there we are. And conversely, when he goes on a zombie killing spree, it's exclusively to what can only be described as bright and colourful J-pop. It's Moist Owler, a.k.a. James. I'm a goddess with a blade. <laughs> Every episode of First Aid Spray is recorded live on our Discord server, so join now to hear the show early and unedited and to become part of our fantastic little community where we discuss life, the universe, and Resident Evil. You can find a link to the server, as well as all of our social media profiles, at our website, fasprayPod.com. It's the support of our listeners that keeps First Aid Spray going, so why not check out our merchandise or our Patreon page? Tiers begin at just $1 a month. Head over to patreon.com forward slash fasprayPod for a full list and the chance to create bonus First Aid Spray content. Housekeeping on our side, uh, thank you to our latest patron, thank you to Stacey B for supporting First Aid Spray, and thank you to all of our patrons as they continue to support First Aid Spray. Uh, we have some stuff in the works, bonus episodes uh, that have been voted on and picked out and that kind of stuff, um, but we are getting closer to unlocking another bonus episode poll, so if you are considering First Aid Spray and supporting First Aid Spray, it's just $1 a month, and it does make that difference. Uh, so thank you again to all of those people. In terms of new content from us, the latest episode of Tear Death Experience is now out on YouTube if you haven't watched it, ranking the outfits of one Leon S. Kennedy. And uh, yeah, that was a good time indeed. We also, if uh, it's been a while since we plugged it, but it's worth saying, did a Christmas Eve special stream of Resident Evil 2 Classic Randomized over on our second channel, First Aid Plays. And that's where Itchy Painty lives as well. You can rewatch all of our previous streams. Subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future ones. Uh, so, quite conversely, we're used to opening a show with, well, not much news. Steve, would you like to take us into quite a stacked edition of the Biohazard News? Our first story, uh, landmark title, Resident Evil R Everse, has received two more DLC characters. Yeah, I don't know how much there is to talk about this, because we talked about this extensively a few weeks ago. Uh, but just to say that everything that we talked about is coming true. So, yes, we now have... Tundra, Night Towel, uh, Umber Eyes, and uh, one of the other ones. I th- see. <laughs> I, s- I still don't know their names. It's been four weeks. Uh, the, yeah, so it's it's trucking along with your Hound Wolf Squad stuff. I don't know if anyone has any points to raise on this. It's Lobo for, for reference. Lobo, thank you, uh... <laughs> Sheriff Lobo. Yeah, yeah. Whoopie doo. I guess the general sentiment. That they could have literally given these skills to any other character in the RE engine and people would have been a li- slightly more interested. Like, you know, why is Marvin Branagh got an M60? No one knows, but hey, uh, you know, okay. there he is. Here yeah. is a fourth goggle person. Like, they're not even real characters. Come on, just. just... There's 42 people playing it right now. <laughs> sure. There's your update. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, well, cool. well that, that, that's our reverse for now. Moving on. So our second story this week, Resident Evil Infinite Darkness, The Beginnings, first issue is available now. 
We haven't talked about this for a while because it's sort of not been in the news, but for those of you who don't remember what this is, this is the prequel comic for Infinite Darkness, which is meant to set up that season of the show, which came out, <laughs> I don't, it's well over a year now. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about when and when this isn't coming out, and it seems like it was getting pushed back, but it's it's officially happening now. I think it's out there in the wild. People have purchased it. I know I've, I've got the first issue coming my way because I pre-ordered all of them. Um, first of five concluding in September next year I'm intrigued to see what this is I don't expect a huge amount of stuff Um, I'm sure obviously it will be tied to the TV show more than anything else but hopefully maybe it fleshes some of that out I guess we'll have to wait and see and we'll cover it at some point down the road Um, Steve any interest in the the tie-in comic for Infinite Darkness a little like a a little and that's only because like you know Jason and oh god is it Shen Mei I believe like, you know, they, yeah. they were moderately interesting characters. Was, you know, I would say the, the, the thing kind of went a bit off the rails rapidly after a certain shootout in a certain dingy room. Uh, you know, I would like to see what they can do because prequel stories go one of two ways. They're either really interesting and tell their own tale that then lands in the, you know, in the foray of the actual show, or it's going to be completely off the rails and it's going to mishmash and really upset everybody, in which case the law debate is going to be hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, true. Or, I mean, the other one is it's completely non-consequential, just like, okay, <laughs> that was a thing. Yeah, the, 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 the Resident <laughs> Evil Zero kind. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, James, any interest in these? Yeah, I I asked my... Um, I haven't heard back yet, I imagine, because it's Christmas, but mm. I asked my local, local comic book store if he could store them for me, bring them in for me. Nice. Um, I will check them out. I do like... Obviously, I love comics, specifically... Like kind of indep- independent wild wan- wild ones or aliens, but I've never actually picked up my Resident Evil ones, um, so I'll be quite interested in diving into it. And as Steve said, like comics tend to have a little bit more depth to them, and it's not hard to get more depth out of uh, the Netflix <laughs> yeah. uh, show. Um, so yeah, they could they could build on it. It is it would be considered canon since like Infinite Darkness is also canon, and they share the same yeah. name. Um, which will yep. be interesting. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to find out what they have in there, um, and to talk about it as well. As soon as I get like the first issue or the first couple of issues, I'll talk about it. Not to get sure. into the weeds. The same writing team, do we know? I actually no don't idea. know. I don't think so. But I don't know that for sure. Not, not, not completely. It's, it's one of those things where it's like you know they announced it around the time of the show, and we're only getting it now. It makes me wonder, you know what has been the hold up and maybe that's a factor of it you'd think it was already pre-written though so it could well be the same writers but who knows uh showing have you seen infinite darkness any interest in this uh yes and no <laughs> fair all right uh, cool uh, <laughs> i did it was a thing that happened that's about all yeah, i'm gonna commit it, to um to, to be fair you are that is at least a factual statement that i am in i would agree with yeah yeah same uh, as opposed to normally what I say, which I completely disagrees with. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I'm, before we get into our final news story, I just wanted to put it out there. Um, we obviously, had a, as a podcast at this point, we have done in the past, but we kind of put our foot down about talking about leaks and rumours and that kind of thing. Uh, the final headline is not a leak as such, but you could. Tr- I could see the perspective of that. Um, we it's it's a news story that you may see on social media, you may not, um, and it's something we don't quite know what it is. So 
if you want to skip out on it, that's completely fair. Make sure you can you pause the podcast and use the time code in the description to move ahead to the file reading, just in case this kind of falls into that territory. But I think it's interesting and worth talking about, at least, and sort of speculating on. So, after that epic lead-in, our final news story, Capcom have apparently trademarked Resident Evil Director's Cut and stars for digital distribution purposes. This was, I think, maybe not necessarily first called out by, but the most attention I saw was our friends over at Biohazard Declassified tweeted about this and put it on Facebook. Declassified? Um, declassified. That's how they say it. That's oh, how I they see. say it. So Fair enough. That's how I'm going to do it. Um, and, uh, yeah, some... some uh, paperwork for trademarks for Resident Evil Director's Cut and Stars, which is quite interesting. Uh, and I postulated that perhaps it was just a renewal of things. And the guys over at Resident Evil Wiki waded in to say that the code that this is being put under, and depending on what kind of usage you want out of your trademark, it needs to be coded a certain way. It is coded for digital distribution. So, begin speculation now. James, what are your thoughts? What do you think this might be? I have no idea. I don't. I don't <laughs> like. I, I I've said this before on the on this show, but when like little snippets like this come out, especially when I don't know anything, I don't mm. like to kind of assume what's going to happen because yeah, typically, typically I'm wrong. <laughs> um, and also uh, setting just, expectation by yeah, yourself is an issue. It, yeah. It's it's also like it feels weird for me. I I like. You know, I, I like talking about things in depth when they've actually got some substance to them, and this doesn't really have substance for me, which is also why I don't follow, you know, leakers and people like that. Because yeah, I I I think we we all here, you know, especially in the Discord as well, like we we like actual substance to something, something that's official. Mm-hmm. Little breadcrumbs, we kind of go, eh, yeah, it's interesting, but we'll wait for further news. So that's my take on it. Completely fair and respectful take. I like that. Nice and even-handed. Steve, how did this get any hype in you? <laughs> okay, like, I, I, I originally, initially, I was like, yeah, it's probably fake. It's probably not real. Like, you know, or it's just renewing sure. the IP. But I... We live in the age of the remaster, don't we? Like, you know, mm. I'm talking... Uh, God knows how many PS1 games, PS2 games, you know, have been brought back. I, I, I would like... I would really like this to be a sign that we are getting, like, you know, the classic collection everyone wants. But I, there's a cynical part of me that thinks it isn't that. Like, it's going to be something else, just some merchandising or some DLC with the branding. You know, I, I, I've been burned a bit too much of late. We're like, you know, oh, yeah, this is a celebration game with, you know, goggle men and a few characters shooting each other, various other things. It would be, it would be fantastic like, if this pie-in-the-sky thing is, in fact, a Resident Evil classic collection, like I would be over the bloody moon. You know, even if it's just the PS1 ports just shoved to, like, you know, Switch and Xbox PC. Although I'd rather there be a bit more love putting care, love and care into that kind of a thing. Mm. Um, but I, it's, it's wait and see until we see a trailer. Like, I'm not getting mad. I'm not getting excited for it. I want it to be, but I'm not going to will it into existence and then get upset. Yes. That's completely fair. Well said, certainly, from both of you. I, If I was to uh, play the other side of it a little bit, I maybe it's just Resi 1, specifically, hence Resident Evil Director's Cut. It might well be that. That game is now available on PS5 through the PlayStation uh, Network thing, the PS Plus stuff you can do. It might well be that that's on a ti- that was on a timed thing and now it's also coming to Game Pass 
as or, or, or you know you know available across other platforms now that it's been on PlayStation for um, you know four or five months at this point. I mean, maybe we're just spreading out the original RE1 a little bit more, which is nice. But I agree with you. It'd be nice if it was the classic collection, but certainly not holding my breath. Uh, showing uh, any any. Ta- oh, sorry. Go ahead. I would say if even if it is just RE1, like some kind of things, like an art gallery or something. Like yeah. please, yeah. not not just port the frigging game. Sherwin, any takes on this? No, I I think it's always worth remembering that sometimes companies do things to protect their IP. Yeah. I think people look for stuff. For me, spoilers are always best when there's something that's intentional and it lands with you because that's done the structured enough way that you can join the dots and you can make up something, which is, oh, this is cool! And I feel rewarded for looking into this and so on. You are absolutely on a high to a losing streak if you kind of start to go out there and try to find something outside of that, I think. It's just a whole bunch of time expended into that. It doesn't, oftentimes, it will lead you around circles or it will just not have a, you know, it will not lead to anything for months mm. and months and weeks or whatever. And the only thing you've really got to go for you is sort of some uh, Chad esque kind of called it on social media thing, which no one really <laughs> believes anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah, fair. And the other side of that potentially is, you know, as I said, you set yourself up by hurt by looking at something like Capcom cancelled some fan games. That means they're definitely doing this. And yeah. Oh, God. Anyway, let's move <laughs> swiftly let, let, on. Let's move on, we say. <laughs> uh, to our main subject for this podcast, which is Biohazard the Stage. And now, reading the file, Investigator's Report from Resident Evil Zero, Lunaretic, who you can follow on Twitter, at Lunaretic. Dr. Marcus, co-founder with President Spencer of the Umbrella Corporation, disappeared 20 years ago. The results of his research have been kept under wraps the entire time. The reason became clear here at the training facility run by Dr. Marcus. Well... Not here exactly, but underground. When we ventured below, we understood. There, we found evidence of Dr. Marcus's research into the T-virus prototype called Progenitor. The evidence of years of hideous experimentation that used company employees as guinea pigs. We cannot know how many were forced to become subjects, but based on the evidence, no less than 20 individuals were involved. Some of them were taken deliberately to keep the corporation's secrets safe. Where the doctor is now, I don't know. But considering the recent rapid growth of the Umbrella Corporation, I can't help but think that this research is continuing. Yes, his experiment lives and continues to grow in the dark. Those things, the fruit of his research, they fill this facility. This is a podcast that I've kind of wanted to do since season one. We touched on it briefly way back when James made his first appearance when we talked about Rebecca Chambers, who's a starring factor of this. Uh, we talked about comics, we talked about books, we talked about films, and of course games. We've never talked about the stage plays of Resident Evil, of which there are four at this point. Uh, the first one uh, was Bioroid Year Zero, which sounds like a, something it's you don't want to get. T- it's an amazing yeah. title. Uh, have you have you read the summary for that? Hideo Kojima's play or something? Oh, sorry. <laughs> from what I understand, it's like a comedy from the perspective of zombies, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
So that is a straight up non-canon entry for certain. And I don't know how available that is. I've never seen it anywhere. Um, I don't think it's ever been uh, pr like produced for a distribution, unfortunately. Whereas the stage was. It was a 2015 production that ran for a week in Japan. Um, and was put out on DVD and Blu-ray. Um, the stage actually is on YouTube. So if you've never seen it before, it wouldn't hurt to watch it before or after this podcast. There are English captions. I don't think those are official English captions, but we're thankful for them. But obviously that's going to be, I'm sure, a part of our dissection of it. We can't necessarily take it completely at face value because it is, it is a Resident Evil project that's exclusively in another language. That being said, unlike Bioroid, uh, the stage is canon in that it's never mentioned and it never interferes with anything sort of way. So there's no reason that it's not canon. Uh, but here we are talking about <laughs> Biohazard the Stage. Before we get into the story, uh, I want to start with the way that... You, I, I guess maybe more than anything else, what would people's expectations of a Resident Evil stage play be? And did this match them, I guess, is perhaps the first question to ask. Uh, Sherwin, let's start with you. <laughs> Amazing. I had zero expectations going into this. As in, for me, it's the same way you treat a Resident Evil movie. You just mm. sit down and go, Joe, well, this is, this is Resident Evil. It's not the Resident Evil that I know. It's not the Resident Evil that I'm familiar with, and it probably won't be something that blows my mind or uh, sets the world on fire or changes my perspective on anything. Let's just watch it from a pure entertainment perspective. Yeah, yeah that's, that is exactly the way that I like to look at it as well, certainly. Uh, Steve, what's your, what were your expectations going into this for the first time? I assume you've probably watched this before uh, we did this podcast, but either way. I think Steve yeah, has the subtitles. I believe it's the, the one that I watched was credited to Rorona Wesker. Yes, yeah. Uh, the, um, no, no I, I, before I watched it, and I, when we, I watched it previously before we did the profile on Rebecca, um, I before I even knew it was a thing, my first entire experience, my anticipation was it was going to be an adaption of Resident Evil One. Like, uh, so when it becomes it's, in, it's an entirely different creature entirely, I was like, okay, this is not like any theatre I've ever seen, but let's go for it anyway. <laughs> yeah. I was expecting is... it to be slower and pompous than it is. That that's that says a lot for the space. Interesting, interesting. Uh, James, what are your expectations going into the stage for the first time? Surprisingly, I. I... I didn't have any really. Yeah. Um, Cause I didn't know really. I've worked in play um, behind the curtain and in front of it. And like, so it was kind of interesting, but at the same time I was like, I don't know how they're going to do this. Like, <laughs> and make it entertaining and make it, um, you know, fun to watch. But yeah, I mean, you'll get to know my opinion as we go further into the podcast, but yeah, it was uh yeah, I had no expectation at all with it. Well, let's stay with it as a stage show before we get into the Resident Evil aspect. Like, you know, the way that it looks, the way that it, the set is and that kind of thing. I think that's probably the most important thing because when we talk about setting expectation, uh, as you rightfully said, James, it's like, how is how's that going to work? What are they going to do? How, how is this going to be put together? Um, I would say we're starting off on a positive note here certainly because this is probably the best thing about it in the sense that I every time I watch it which isn't very often admittedly but I am always like do you know what they really really tried some stuff here like the actual mm. set I was fairly impressed with uh, the layout and the things they do with it you know you've got stuff moving around but also more than anything else it's not, it's not a whole lot 
of interchangeable set pieces so much as they use projections and lights and scrims and stuff in really interesting ways. Um, like there's a whole bit where they're pulling shutters down and that's done with projections or it's done with lights and sounds around characters, um, that kind of stuff. That stuff is wor- it, almost worth watching. If, if you hate it, you hate it. But that stuff is worth continuing to watch it for, I found. It was like, oh, what are they going to do next? What's the next room going to look like? How are they going to play with the lights and the projections and so on? So, uh, James, in that case, uh, what did you think of all of that kind of aspect? I absolutely loved that. I absolutely loved it. I was looking at this, I felt, you know... I felt that they were really trying. Like you can put on, st- you can put on a stage, and you know you'll see folks, you know, dressed in their leotards, you know, kind of pushing. All the- but I saw, I think I only saw one person that wasn't the cast like move onto the stage. I mean, I was watching it in three sixty p, so <laughs> I couldn't really get kind of a close look. But um, yeah, the thing that I loved most about it was their use of darkness and light. Mm-hmm. Um, like they were using darkness. Which is something in a horror. If you want to, if you want something to be scary, you use darkness quite well, and they did that really, really well. Um, not only did they use um, light very well, but they used the entire theater as well. Like mm. as a like, they brought people from all angles. You would hear a scream, and then you'd see the audience look around, like where did that come from? And it came from behind them, and then they'll all be watching, you know, this this fight or whatever happen behind them and go by them. It's really immersive and like really cool as a as a watcher as a theater play watcher um having that stuff happen um and like the, the like the actors themselves are, were so good as well that i just feel like i would have enjoyed so much being there um mm-hmm. even if i couldn't understand anything that was happening i just would have enjoyed it um yeah mm-hmm. so but my biggest my biggest thing about it is just that they're the way they worked with darkness and light. Because as you were saying, they were using shutters. There's like one bit that I really, really enjoyed, and it was right at the beginning. Um, it was the very first scene. No, wait, it was the second scene. It was where um, it's where Rebecca's teaching the class, and Mary Gray is writing on a board, a chalkboard. Um, and we're basically looking through the chalkboard at the class, hmm. right, while this is all happening. I thought that was really clever. They could have just been... They could have just put a chalkboard in the back and been like, you know, but then backs would have been turned to everybody, right? But they yeah. included you as the crowd, right, watching this through a lens. And I, I, felt, I thought that was so cool. And they did that throughout the entire show. Uh, the other one that was was great um, was when uh, Mary Gray... <laughs> so most of my favorite scenes, even though I love Re- Rebecca Chambers, involve Mary Gray. Um, where her and Lucas were trying to open up the AV department. And there's just some zombies, a really simple trick. There's just some zombies supposedly behind this screen trying to get through. And then Mary Gray asks Rebecca to open up. I think it's Rebecca to open up the the shutter. And the the shutter just opens. And then the zombies that are behind it come forward. And that's really simple. And Mm -hmm. again, they use darkness and light there, like to kind of give you the illusion that there was something in front. Um, there's a lot to talk about, but I don't want to <laughs> kind of take up the time. So, yeah, Darkness and Light, the biggest thing for me, and the fact that they use the entire theatre as a as a tool. Mm. I agree. I realise I used a word, and I don't. This may you know might maybe sound pompous. I don't know how common the word scrim is outside of theatre, but it, for those that maybe don't know, it's like um, it's like a kind of gauze that when you shine a light through, you can kind of 
determine the transparency of it. So mm. the chalkboard thing is is like that, where you can see through it, and they can also use it as a completely opaque thing if they wanted to. Um, and there's a whole, basically, a section of the stage pretty much all the time it's like a wall that has a scrim over it. So sometimes it is a room that people walk in and out of. And then sometimes we get to see through that wall and see what's going on in this random office. Mm. And just another great example of stuff like that. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, can, I, can I mention one other thing, actually? So it. transitions they were doing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. the transitions like were so good. Like There was this one scene where you literally get transported from the rector's office where Rebecca Chambers is to... Uh, where she's talking to Tyler during the Minnesota um, mm. incident, right? And I didn't even realize it was so well done. Like that, she just walks off, goes to the other side of the stage, and we're in Minnesota. The light changes to blue. It's rainy. We know where we are. And then the flashback changes, and she walks away from Tyler, and she ends up in the office again. The office. I was like, yeah. that was such a good transition, mm. like that you. You don't normally see in in theatre because normally transitions are just straight cut. It's like fade to black, next scene, it's done. But no, this was done proactively on the stage, which is really cool. Yeah, really like a little pocket scene within the scene. It, yeah, really and they, they did that a couple of times. Well, a few mm. times actually. Uh, Steve, how do you think uh, Biohazard the stage fares as a stage show from your perspective? I think production values are top marks, right? Like, you know, yeah. the, the, to say it's called The Stage, they sure as hell get a lot of use out of that stage. I mean, it's every room in the entire adventure, but they can manage to use, like, you know, clever lighting and projections to make it into all sorts of things. Whereas most stage plays, I, I, you know, at least the ones I've been to, normally the, the, the props will normally be, like, you know, tables, chairs, maybe a cardboard cutout here and there. This is, like, a fully animated affair with things dropping down, uh, you've got like doors that open up, uh, shutters that floor down, animations. It's uh, it's truly astounding what they managed to pull off, really. And then again, the full 4D experience as the actual like you know background where the the, the the punters are sat is also runways for characters to do things around and do action is amazing. Like it, it feels decidedly a lot more involved than like you know Romeo, Romeo, where art thou, Romeo? You know. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, yeah, agreed. I, I, there's a lot of things I would like to talk about, but James has already kind of talked about them. So I'm kind of going, yeah, this is pretty good. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, speaking of great moments, uh, Chris, Chris pushing the display aside with a fossil in it to find a yes. door. It's like, <laughs> if, there, if there, there might, and we'll potentially get to this, I'm sure, whether or not, you know, how you feel about this as Resident evil but that is the that, that bit was like, yeah, okay, re- <laughs> that's Resident Evil right there. Uh, Showin, how did you feel about by Hands of the Stage, its production values and that kind of thing? Yeah, we'll, we'll get onto some other elements of it, um, which are sort of semi-related to this. I mean, much like what you guys have said, it's... It does very well with what... Yeah, what it, what it, it, it does very well with what it has to work with. Um, mm. You can tell there's some definite thought gone into various different elements of it. Uh, some of the transformation stuff is very cool uh, in terms of bits and pieces we're talking about. Like, yeah, in terms of the bits and pieces you guys are talking about, just echoing that, really. Um, mm. I, I, I'll possibly give us a segue into the next section, which is I don't think... I don't know how well-suited a stage show is for Resident Evil. Mm-hmm. And I think the 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 honest react the honest thing I can say about this is that a lot of the content and a lot of the actual what they tried to pull together with this just 
it's a challenge to try and bring to a stage performance and yeah. I think in some senses that really was limiting but the actual you know the set design and other bits and pieces weren't part of that they did very well with that respect um, mm-hmm. it's just how immersive someone can find it versus there's there's not a point where I think and this is more to I think I suspect rather to go with the actual writing and the actual story and what's being portrayed in front of you I don't think there's any element where you feel completely immersed um, as much and you kind of forget that you're watching a stage performance and that's possibly mm. a thing but otherwise yeah I, I can't disagree with anything you've said mm. I also as a quick shout out to something very minor but uh, when it's something like this where it's like an offshoot of a pre-existing franchise especially with video games I think uh, can be victims to this when somebody adapts it is they'll just change the small things like they'll get a new logo and you're like okay that's a bit weird but the fact that you know the music they use is from the games for i think for the most part there might have been some original stuff in there too i think it's Um, mostly re6 isn't it yeah there's a lot of re6 stuff Mm, in there definitely and the visuals like the logo that comes up at the beginning is essentially the revelations logo and i'm like do you know what i actually kind of like that it ties and that may be in retrospect more than anything else because this ties this closer now into that era of Resident Evil, which is sort of over since RE7, you know, the pre-Resident Evil 7 stuff. It feels like an offshoot of Revelations, very much so. You know, you've got all these warring factions and the RE6 style of all characters must fight at some point over a misunderstanding vibe. It feels like it fits in with that era of RE storytelling uh, quality, up or down notwithstanding. Um I saw a little bit of remake two in there too. In terms Interesting, of because yeah, the first like one of the most prevalent things in terms of a remake two poster, like all the titles, even the title screen is rain. Yes, yeah, yeah. like and like the title screen is full of rain. It's that blue of RE six, um, but it's got a lot of rain and a lot of raindrops on the. the it looks very much like remake two. I'm wondering if remake two, two took inspiration from the stage or it was just something that, that was. Yeah, or something that was put on like the writer's wall. Um, the other, uh, just a small thing as well, because um, I've got a lot of references to RE6 here. Um, but I think um, one of the main things that made me go, wait, that's RE6, is when there's a bit, um, and it, it carries on, so it gets a, a little bit long in the teeth, but every time Chris uh, blocks an attack, you get that shing sound, the, par- <laughs> the parry sound from RE6 constantly. Um yeah, I thought I thought it was both cool, but it got a little bit boring eventually. <laughs> My thing for this is just like RE6 is the fact that he has to fight Tyler Howard, even though they're both good guys. I was like, <laughs> yeah, he's basically, and the other guy's a US agent. It's like, this, what you, this is just what Chris does at this yeah. point, I guess. Him versus government agents, but there you go. Uh, yeah, let's get into the story then, which is divided into two acts, uh, as most plays would be, um, as a little bit of a setup for those people who haven't watched it or need reminding. Essentially... Um, there are some missing persons cases in Philosophy University in Australia. Uh, Rebecca goes in kind of undercover working with the BSAA, posing as a teacher for a few weeks. Um, and then when she kind of gets the feeling that something is certainly up, calls in some backup, uh, which arrives in the form of Chris and Piers, um, as well as Sophie Home, who is from the BSAA of that part of the world. Um, and... Coincidentally, on that same day is when it all starts to really kick off and the disappearances become zombies and so on and so forth. And this is all stuff that's kind of dusted in as you go. Uh, But there you go. Um, So generally, story points about Act 1. I guess everyone just kind of 
take it through how you felt about it. Um, you know, go nuts, I guess. Steve, how did you feel about Biohazard the Stages? Uh, first half of the story. Before, like, you know, the chaos ensues, it's like rather like you can feel a calm before the storm and all the characters being established. And uh, it's, it's, I think it's when Tyler and Mary are on what I'm assuming is the rooftop of the building or a rooftop. And they they basically lock eyes with each other and they're both going, I'm dead. I'm like, what on earth is going on here? <laughs> and, and then a single BSAA Humvee drives in, or where, like the, the, the animatic of, and I'm like, this is a rather low military footprint for the BSAA. And that's probably, that's probably not where my brain's meant to be going. But yeah, I feel like this is the most small-scale operation for what is clearly an absolute crisis to come. Like, uh, the, the outbreak kind of just happens. Uh, I, I, like, I'm, I'm right in thinking that, like, the zombies just start appearing around the building after this yeah. one, like, moment. Uh, yeah. there's, there's no real like smoking gun. Uh, it's just oh yeah, it's just it's just the way it is. You know, you, you go to geometry, you come out, and all of a sudden zombies. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a significant moment. I feel like we kind of skip through. Uh, not 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 to dismiss because I think that the starring the, the big star moment for me is seeing Rebecca. I think the actress they got playing Rebecca nailed the character, so to speak, in this especially in this early segment as a teacher. Like, mm. It feels right. It feels correct. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It does certainly come out of nowhere. I did get a little bit of the Resi vibes when there's a scene full of characters early on. You get the rector who runs the university, his son, uh, Tyler Howard, who's this cop who's quote-unquote dead, who was killed in the line of duty, and Barrington Meyer, who is this sort of detective, who, and maybe this is why there's a low footprint, his whole MO is, we need to keep this quiet, um, and nobody's allowed to know about this bioterror outbreak um, and they're all in there in one room having their own motives to the, each other and so i was like yeah this feels like revelations to be honest i'm like is this gonna be really hard to follow as well but gladly not so much they're totally um, on the level not corrupt cop barrington meyer <laughs> yeah exactly there's a lot of monologue going on um and the first 30 minutes is a bit of a drag <laughs> um it but it is propped up like you say, for me, by some of the characterization that I'm, I'm, this is more of a character point perhaps, but I'm just kind of like impressed that Chris, Piers, and Rebecca, as we've never seen them before, <laughs> played by Japanese, you know, men and women. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I get it actually. Despite the fact that we're reading English subtitles from potentially that YouTuber who uploaded the stage, uh, I did get their, their characters through from this absolutely so props on that front from the performance and potentially the writing as well um james how did you feel about the sort of setup for biohazard the stage um i i'm gonna talk a little bit more about kind of the i guess the activation the hook sure um of where i thought that that was like a they let themselves down with that bit um resident evil when i say the hook by the way i mean when the zombies suddenly turn up um, when it comes to Resident Evil, when a first zombie turns up, it's always a big moment. Mm, um, very true. And it was so... Nonchalant. Yeah, when it mm. turned up that... it And it was, it was... By the way, this isn't like a... I thought that scene... Oops, I just hit my mic, sorry. Um, I thought that scene was also kind of a detriment um, compared to the rest of the show, because the rest of the show was good, um, in my opinion. 
like in terms of like how they uh, set things up and how they announce things and you know it was it was very and i put in my notes here it's very anime the way things mm. were kind of portrayed but that's japanese culture in terms of theater um but yeah that was a they they really dropped the ball on on the actual the activation of the the zombies and them running and taking over because i was expecting especially since we had the long drag of act one where they were basically dragging on and talking about Rebecca going to the fossils and the archaeology department and her uncovering this stuff and her talking to Chris and Piers about it and then the Oceana branch and everybody out there would like slowly kind of unveiling this and is expecting them to get to a location where they would notice the source of it or at least like right. the beginning of the source of it. But no, we they were just <laughs> they were just in a location which I can't remember now, and suddenly there's zombies running around. Like it was really strange. Um, yeah, but I, I I I think I might be on the other half because I liked I liked the 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 long drawn out first half of it because I got to kind of meet these characters. Like you said, Sai, like these the characterization of these characters was really good. Um, and I really connected with them, and I wanted to know. I wanted to know them a bit more before the outbreak happened, mm-hmm. right? And I think that also because of the way the outbreak happened, like I think that that made me go to that decision because, like you know, it was just so sudden, and then we'll get to know so much about these characters, and suddenly now they're in military like kind of mode, and you know they're fighting each other and they're fighting zombies, and yeah, so it, it took me out. It took me out a little bit. Um, are we talking about the story overall or just the story of Act 1? Uh, just the story of Act 1 for now. Yeah. Um, where does Act 1 end? Before the music part. <laughs> oh, yeah. The big fight. Tyler Howard, yeah, Tyler Howard opens up Howard's lab with his dog tag somehow. That's how Act 1 ends. Right, and Rebecca gets abducted, right? I think yes. for the second time, or maybe the first time, I can't remember. They keep freaking abducting Rebecca for some reason. Um, mm. That really annoyed me. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was fine. I just really wish that they it, it, the, the sudden arrival of the zombies really took me out. Um, it lost me a little bit towards the end of Act One, and I think it was mainly because Rebecca was being used as a bit of a crutch. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the time, like, she was... Like, I get it, um, but we've all played Resident Evil Zero. We know that mm-hmm. Rebecca's, Rebecca is capable of fighting for herself and defending herself. But we get... And, and we even see it in the show. She says, I think, to Tyler, I think, um, she says, you need to shoot them in the head. Yes, she does, yeah. Right, she has that. She has that knowledge. But as soon as she points a gun at something, and they were trying to make it out to be like she doesn't want to take life, but it didn't make sense because we know she already has done that. Mm -hmm. Um, We we also know that she is capable. That that she knows that she's right now not capable of curing this, even though she wants to. So I'm like half and half. I'm like I understand where she's coming from, but at the same time, we've already seen her kick butt. So I really wish we got to see more of that. Fair. Uh, Sherwin, how do you feel about the story set up for the stage? I think, for me, this the, the, the question I kept coming back to watching this is, 
how does this feel like Resident Evil? What's the what's the what are the the yeah the temp poles, whatever way you want to look at it? What are the things that make me kind of have the touch points where I go, that's Resident Evil, that's Resident Evil, that's Resident Evil, and there's a few in here. Uh, Rebecca being utterly useless in any situation which doesn't involve standing there and screaming and being a damsel, for example, even though yeah. we know that that's quite to the contrary of what she should be. Um, Wesker, who's not really Wesker. Uh, Chris <laughs> yeah. being the most boring human being on the planet. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's always the various different points that come up. And, you know, th those things they touched on very well. One of the key elements that I think they touched on really well, which is Resident Evil, or was what Resident Evil became, especially around the time this was made, is that it has a excessively convoluted story, which is actually really quite dull, has no real need for half the characters in it, and isn't very entertaining. Um, I think they did that really, really well with this. Um, by the time it got <laughs> to the end of the first act... I was entirely bored of whatever the storyline was. Um, mostly because I wasn't really following it. It was just really generic. It's just, oh, there are zombies, there's an outbreak. We're at some random place and people are trying to investigate it. There's some other characters who feel entirely superfluous. One of them is probably going to be a tyrant. Um, and then we kind of ended up in this point where, or sorry, a, you know, a Birkin-esque kind of character. And then at some point, of course, we, we land in this point of, and half of the characters don't trust each other or there's betrayal it doesn't really feel like a you know, military unit various different other bits and pieces it's very very resident evil um very dysfunctional very all over the show and sadly i don't think that a stage performance is the best medium to tell a story like that in any case and i think that mm. really didn't help it i think for a stage performance you want to keep your characters and the characterization of those characters quite punchy and quite concise and I think this just had too many characters it was trying to tell stories of, new characters it was trying to tell the story of or trying to introduce in some way and I just think that made it overall, especially in the first half, quite a bit of a mess for you just to sort of sit through and just kind of go, yeah I, I just don't really feel, I'm bouncing off this quite hard I actually certainly agree with there being lots of plot points that are needlessly convoluted and attached to those is characters that do not need to be there whatsoever. I agree, especially with the stage show. And I was thinking about this, um, about movies as well in general, um, where you can look at some films and go, you could have combined these characters into one person and it would have been a lot neater and I wouldn't have to remember two names and you wouldn't have to split up a load of dialogue between them. And there's a bunch of characters in this where it's kind of like that. Like, uh, we're jumping ahead a bit, but like Barrington Myers completely pointless his whole story does not go anywhere um and it's just to sort of serve to have some kind of antagonist force at the beginning but it doesn't yeah it's just kind of like yeah and same thing as much as i love the rector the guy that plays the rector it's kind of like you're a bit pointless and your son is even more pointless it's like <laughs> like this whole part's there where it's like what why uh which unfortunately detracts from some of the stuff that is working for me with the characters that you, you know, like you said, Chris being, being you know, boring uh, and Rebecca being uh, somewhat misunderstood with the way she was written. Uh, you know, they are landing with me performance wise. But yeah, some of the characters, even early on, I could kind of tell was like, how are you going to resolve all of this? Mm. Uh, but putting that in the back of my head, there was plenty enough uh, in Act One once it got going to keep me entertained at least. Um 
for, at least speaking for myself. Does anyone else have any more points on Act 1? Is it Act 1 where the sun does the uh, content warning, serious stuff? Uh, I think it's Act 2. Right, okay. Well, well, I'll try and skirt around the subject then, uh, and we'll talk about it later. It's just like, it seems to come out of nowhere for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will throw in one, one element to this, which is about 20 minutes in, maybe maybe a touch earlier than that, I found myself thinking, and this is this is definitely getting us into Act 2, this would be really cool if it was a musical. <laughs> it's funny and you say that, Sherwin, because... I know, because then Act 2 happened, and I was very, very thankful it wasn't. Um, in a hurry. <laughs> Which perhaps so, leads us to the second section. Yes, let's talk about that bit specifically before we go any further. I want to know what everyone thought of Act 2 opening with a J-pop song while our heroes fight off a horde of uh, zombies who I assume all have terrible names like the rest of their student buddies like Laird <laughs> Laird and Tudor and Posh which are all real names um, but yes mowing down zombies to high energy J-pop uh, for context the lady who portrays Sophie Holm and I don't know if it's pronounced Rachel or Rachel uh, she's a J-pop singer, and that is her song that is playing um, as that's going on. And she had a good relationship with Capcom at this point. She'd done some stuff for Dragon's Dogma. Um, so, clearly, this is something they were like, yeah, this will be cool. We can put this in there. Um, Sherwin, how do you feel about this musical <laughs> section? Um, again, <laughs> it, it banished the thoughts of wanting this to be a musical well from my mind. Uh, definitely 100% absolutely um, which is funny because then a little bit later on that we actually got the musical element which was kind of interesting but um, but again mm. we'll come back to that uh, yeah I think this I see what they were going for It it's very much the same as the, uh, the wham bam uh, what just happened I'm obviously cutting a word out of there section of Welcome to Raccoon City I think in the dark uh, in the sense that it kind of doesn't achieve what it's trying to do, and that's because of a fundamental point which goes wrong. And in this case, it is the music. Um, <laughs> you can't take if, if you want to have uh, if you want to have kind of create this 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 idea of oh, there's lots of combat happening, and this is the section where they fought themselves out. And we're trying to condense it into one scene where we show all of this mm. action, this high octane, and everything else. Cool. You probably want to have something that doesn't just sound like they're at backstage. At, you know, this is all happening backstage while a gig happens somewhere else. Um, <laughs> it, it was a very odd choice, and I think, it, considering that so many other steps we talked about were made to kind of really pull the audience in and be immersive and drag you there, it really just, just tore you completely out of it. So, uh, Steve, how do you feel about this this particular moment? Okay, right. So, OGRE1 in Japan has a song called Icy Games. We have a version of it in the cast music in um, Resident Evil 1, right? It's a very campy J-pop tune. And I feel almost like this is a full circle moment. Like, <laughs> I, I can appreciate that, like, to, to the, the sheer brass uh, balls to do a musical fight scene in a theatre play is it's just it's something else like it's so bad that I can't help but appreciate it 
it's just chaos. Like you try and follow any particular character, and it's just mayhem and guns, you know, gun noises. <laughs> Choreography though, pretty solid. Like I, the, 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 you know, the actual movement of the characters doing their heroic stuff, but the zombies just have to lumber around and die in like you know theatrical ways. It's, it's definitely. It feels like it could have been a music video on its own. Like <laughs> it's just slapped in the middle yeah. of a play. It's basically Chris and. Chris and friends will punch up some zombies, the only real B.O.W.s besides two others in the entire play. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think the J-popness, it, it brought icy gaze to mind straight away. So I just needed like, you know, I've got a shotgun playing somewhere over it. I would have been well away. It would have been 10 out of 10. So yeah, it, it's it's needless, it's pointless, but I still kind of enjoyed it. It's uh I almost, it is a bit silly. I almost kind of wish that the character of Sophie Holm like, walks up to the front of the stage, puts her headphones in, and that's when it starts. And <laughs> the she's listening to come down. <laughs> yeah, like, then, then, like, that's what... So she's listening to the music while they fight through it. That's, like, a happy place. Like, that, like make it a character moment or something. Yeah. Because it stands, it's, it is a little weird. Um, in defense of it, this is clearly meant to be an entertaining night out for the people that are in the audience. And this is their way of, you know, bringing the mood up amongst this dreary uh, horror thing. Does it need it? I, d- I don't think so. I agree with Show, and, you know, it, it, it is so incongruous with what they're trying to achieve for the rest of it, especially considering what takes place almost immediately afterwards. Um, Compared to, like, Welcome to Raccoon City's flaming... Uh, well, I can't remember the song that's playing. Uh, uh, yeah. You know uh, uh, that that moment, and then Baxter's moment in the Netflix series. I'll take this a hundred times. Like you know, <laughs> I, I will take this a hundred times over burning zombies and disco music and Jamiroquai. Uh, yeah. You know, Jamiroquai gun cat sequence. So yeah, in that regard, J-pop wins. Yeah, fair. I agree. Uh, James, how did you feel about uh, the musical slaughter? What do you mean? <laughs> it was fantastic. Slaughter set to music is what I mean. It was great. Like, I, <laughs> I, yeah, th- this happens in theater all the time. Like, there'll be like a half, half time, like, kind of break, yeah. like, that's meant to kind of relax everybody and s- recenter. Maybe it was the wrong <laughs> type of song to recenter everybody with. <laughs> um, I mean, I would have had a blast there, but I love, you know, I love K-pop and I love J-pop. So, like, if you couldn't follow that story when you get out of the theater with your friends, that is definitely the thing you talk about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the thing I love most, and I think I've mentioned this in the podcast many times before, is like when you shoot guns in time with with the with the beat of of a song. I'm gonna love it all all the time. Like, and they were doing that constantly through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, as, like Steve was saying, like, there, was, there was a lot of chaos and stuff. I love that chaos. I am chaos. So when I was looking at that stage and I was seeing, I was looking at each person, they had their own little routine that they were doing. Was, this is great. I love every <laughs> every aspect of this. It was, it was a great, it was a great halftime uh, kind of breakdown for me. Um, it came out of nowhere. I remember my eyes just going wide and then I just looked and go, what? But then, but I did enjoy it. Like it was entertaining for me. Um, I think your idea, by the way, with the headphones in and it being like, yeah, I think that's a great idea actually. To, so it would have been a more of a massive experience. What would have been even cooler is if she was just walking around the the crowd while that was happening, and she was just like <laughs> kind of jiving, you know, uh, bopping ahead to the music. Um, but yeah, I, I like the techno breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> 
Fair enough. You know, I yeah, I absolutely see what you're saying about it being the uh, the talking point, and it you know it's it's theatre. It's a very different medium. So um, let's talk about Act Two at last. The stuff that follows that, which for me, I I really don't like. Oh well, she's a singer. Let's make her emotionally sing a nursery rhyme after the comic relief character is killed off. Uh, almost immediately after that. But <laughs> I did like him coming back as a zombie and then killing off pointless uh, stand-in Wesker just for the <laughs> chaos of it. Like, those characters have never interacted before, so it's kind of dumb. Like, it's not like a comeuppance or like a full-circle story. They just decided, oh, that's it, he's done. We've got nothing to do with this character now, so let's have him bitten and then fall out of a window or whatever happens. My name uh, is less silly than yours, die. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, what are your thoughts on uh, Act Two at large? Honestly, it, it it descends to chaos, and yeah, again, there's some awesome fight sequences, but half the time it feels like, why, what, what, <laughs> why can't this man get through his head that his son's in front of him? Five years isn't that big of a difference. I'm sorry, right? Yeah, like you know, especially when he's an adult ass, grown ass man. Um, <laughs> how would you melt? Uh, is what I want to say. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I appreciate the fact that it escalates and escalates and escalates. And the, the, the whole extermination mission that this started out from seems to have disappeared to unravel a conspiracy we already know the outcome of. Mm-hmm. Like, that, 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 it, it descends into character moments, which is fine. Like, you know, you've got Pierce and Sophie, and then you've got, well, before then you've got Posh and Sophie. Chris and Rebecca doing their Chris and Rebecca stuff until she gets nabbed. And then Mary comes out from behind the curtain and goes, actually, I was the real villain all along, and now I'm going to do the Resident Evil thing. And uh, what, what's the term? Mutate violently into a monster that does bugger all. Uh, <laughs> so it, it, it's strange, because they like, they're trying to establish that she's like a super genius who's basically been artificially uh, made into a genius by uh, medical treatment, right? Uh, it, yeah, what, or at least you know she's had it. Gro- you know her potential has definitely been grown by the T virus. Like mm, T then, Howard, I guess. Yeah, the, yeah, the TH virus. Um, it it reminded me a bit of Alice at times. Like you know, with, with less of the, <laughs> the no, the, the whole bonded with the T virus and then having superpowers no, and being so stoically right. emotionless. You're yeah. so right. This is this is how we all see Alice. <laughs> yeah, only she does bugger all and uh, becomes Blobberella. I don't know what to call it. It's, it's a giant thing. It's a monster it, from Red Dwarf. It's, it's the Cory <laughs> monster from Red Dwarf. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Showing, how do you feel about Act 2 in general? Same as Act 1. Um, it's a mess. <laughs> yeah. it, it honestly is a mess. Um, the posh character, Phil. I, I get why Posh is in there. Um, it, much like the dance number, the dance break, whatever you want to call it. It's again the 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 part that insulates it for me from. So the harsh criticism I could say is, this this show doesn't understand what it's trying to be. If it's trying to tell a Resident Evil story, that's great. Don't try to have a light-hearted character that's in there for comic relief. Don't try to have a dance number. Don't have a really pointless singing section just literally show us the unrelenting horror that is a Resident Evil horror movie, you know, is a horror game. Just do that, because otherwise you're, you're missing the point. If you're trying to introduce something else, if you are trying to have those light hide moments, then it can't ever really be Resident Evil and don't make a lot of your writing the way it is. 
the part that insulates it from that very harsh criticism is again as i've said this is this is very much a contemporary resident evil thing so it is a mess it is all over the place it doesn't know what it's doing it's not focused and that i think is yeah that, that's obviously me being a little bit me but at the same time that's how i think you can view everything that is resident evil post around about resident evil 6 certainly probably resident evil 5 including movies and tv shows and everything else they're just a mess so they can't decide what they want to be so i think this is largely falls into the same category so it's just this big swirling chaotic mess of of random story points of random kind of character moments of of i have no idea why we're stopping to sing about a character that you know you don't really know that very well but there we right. are with you know the sort of various different bits it's yeah like uh, i one thing i'm always very hesitant of i don't want to be yeah you know, this is my take i don't want to be very much i don't know japanese theater i don't know japanese stage performances what the culture of that is what the expectations of that are and so on if these are all themes that exist within japanese theater then fantastic um yeah you can only view it from your perspective i can only view it from my perspective very well said and it's something mm -hmm. where these may be sort of you know uh themes that are sort of run through that but honestly yeah the story is a continues to be a mess mm. and it doesn't really change I, anywhere yeah at this point is really when it it shakes itself apart at this point because there is so much chaos so much all these superfluous characters and plot lines and stuff and underneath that, the plot is pretty generic. You know, if you stripped away a part of it, I feel like I would like it okay enough, but it's not exactly to blow anyone's minds. There's so many issues and it. it does feel, yeah, underbaked in terms of the storytelling department. And that, that unfortunately comes through a lot in Act 2. Um, despite there being some positive stuff, certainly... The tyrant fight is <laughs> hilarious. Oh yes, uh, we should probably we should and, probably and add powerful. in the tyrant, shouldn't we? Yes, that's that's the, the thing. There's no AKA reason why. Just turns on <laughs> the tyrant, aka Uncle Fester. You mean? Yeah, the tyrant <laughs> that just randomly turns up. You're like, oh, there's a tyrant. That's it. There's yeah. nothing else. It's just zombie plus plus. He <laughs> takes a good while to die, though, doesn't he? Like, yeah, he does. The slow motion death was something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's the pre-boss boss fight, and then you, yeah, you get the Mary Gray in the shut the hell up challenge, where she has an endless monologue before she mutates. But fair play, that is what every Resident Evil villain does in this era of the series. So uh, yeah, she's a bit generic. We've done the superpowered weapon woman before with Alexia and with Manuela a little bit. Uh, but as far as the final showdown goes, with Chris, Piers, Rebecca, Sophie, and Tyler, who I thought to be strong characters. Uh, it actually felt kind of cool with all them standing there facing down the curry monster on the roof or whatever. Uh, it was, yeah, it's it's an appropriate Resident evil -y end uh, once the chaos has kind of shook itself to pieces afterwards. James, I mean, how do you feel about... Oh, sorry, go on. I was going to say, how many other plays do you know end with a rocket launcher? Like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. At least they got that bit. That's, that, they made sure that's in there. Uh, James, how do you feel about Act 2? I'm going to defend Mary Gray... Um, you do it. So, played by uh, Asuka Kuramuchi, I think her name is. Um, she, listen, right? She gave me, and I know it's a hot topic right now, but you guys all know what my favorite characters are, like in Co Veronica. Like, 
It's the crazy twins. Yeah, that's fair. Right? That's fair. And like she get the way she laughed on that stage, it, it was it was chef kiss. Like everything <laughs> she was saying, she was like it wasn't just a ha 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 ha, you know, comedy laugh. It was a proper manic laugh. I loved it. Um, she had a goal, James. She had a goal, and it wasn't just what was it? I'm gonna set the world alight with an inferno of hate. It was I'm going to reset everything. Like, you know? Exactly the re yeah. reset reset to um, as we kept being told. Um, yeah, I, I love her character. I loved her character. Like she played a bad guy very very well, and yeah. it was kind of obvious that she was going to be the bad guy. But we always know who the bad guy is going to be in Resident Evil. It's never like a. It's never normally a bait and switch, you know. It's 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 always kind of who you expect it to be uh, from the very first, well, from the second scene, you know, where she's going. I can't solve this puzzle. That's because it's unsolvable, says Rebecca Chambers. You know, it's very Star Trek with the <laughs> Kobayashi Maru uh, yeah. with that, um, yeah, which I found pretty pretty cool. Um, yeah, I have a lot to say about her as well because she reminds me of Evelyn um, a lot. Yeah, sure. She yeah. is always talking about being alone and not having people, which is why she fancied Lucas. I will go into that in a second. Um, but yeah, I, I liked I liked that. I wish they didn't focus so much on romance. Um, Resident mm -hmm. Evil doesn't have that, really. The only romance you ever really see is between Leon and Ada, which is unrequited and like doesn't really connect at all but they did it like three times during this show um and it was it was it's okay to have like little bits and bobs but no they were spending entire scenes on these yeah fair yeah love lives and they like really really kind of took me out of it i didn't want i didn't care i don't care i'm watching i'm watching a horror show i don't care about teenage angst you know mm -hmm. um high school stuff it but I did. I did like it from the perspective of 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 Mary Gray because it made sense. Because she like she was alone and she'd always been lonely and she never want she didn't want to be lonely anymore. Except now she's like, no, everybody dies now because you're all below 120, 130 IQ and you all deserve I thought to you die. Say 120 FPS then. <laughs> I almost. I almost Your frame rate is too low. You must Man. die. God, I wish, right? Um, <laughs> but um, I also found, uh, just to hit on uh, the posh brown thing, um, I agree with Sherwin about, like, it. it's fine to have somebody run on stage and make, before, like, they have the curtain pull, so the stage isn't there, so you're out of the play at this point, and he's sitting there, and he's, you know, having a little joke with the crowd, you know, saying, you're, yeah. you're kawaii, you're kawaii, and you're a little bit ugly, you know, and that that was kind of funny. Um, but then when we go into the story, uh, I didn't care for him. He was so there is a I can't remember what it's called. It's got a name, but typically in manga or anime, Japanese media, um, there is always always at least one character which is super pervy and is mm -hmm. a bit of a creep. And mm -hmm. Posh Brown gave that like vibe off immediately. I'm not saying that the actor is this, by the way. It's just that this is just a thing that is in this media uh, a lot and i hate it it's like um for those who watch anime it's like mineta from uh, my hero academia um there's always at least one and he was that guy he's like, rubbing his nipples and stuff it was like made me shiver um yeah so when he died and like <laughs> the nursery rhyme was being i think it was trying to evoke you to feel sorry for this character except i yeah. didn't give a damn about him i didn't care yeah. 
um, about him at all. Why would I give a damn about this pervy man um, who was out of the play and now is in the play? Mm. Then I, I did appreciate him trying to use first aid spray on him and it not working. Yeah. Um, I mean, it worked on Sophie. Like, <laughs> she was also not very well and she didn't like uh, catch the mega zombie lurgy. Right. Mm. <laughs> um, I found, I've called him Leon G. Kennedy. Uh, the G stands for... <laughs> The G, the G stands for goth. Um, <laughs> it's I. I liked him, but I also found that he was just he was just boring. Um, you could have just put Leon in. I like. <laughs> yeah. He literally he even had the hair. Like exactly right. <laughs> like he acted well. The actor did great. Like it's just that his story was crap. Um, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know of any like. We don't know of any stories that happened in Minnesota. Um, like we don't, we couldn't connect it. Like as mm. fans of Resident Evil, we couldn't connect him, and then they were just trying to like drag him like through this story. It felt like. Um, I mean, well, Rebecca, you're was. right because like he's literally a police officer, and he has his he has a, a terrible day, and then he's a government agent. Right. He has the, the same hair. Yeah. It, it, it's <laughs> like we can't give Leon a tragic backstory. He's already in canon, so we have to make up a new one. He's He's yeah. even from Rochester Police Department, RPD. Oh right. my god! <laughs> like he's like he's he's oh he was they could have just used Leon. I don't know. Maybe there was like some kind of license thing or something. Now I've spoken a lot about a lot of negatives. I want to speak about one positive thing that I found kind of cool, and that was um, that was God. What's that second name? The bad the the bad guy that turns Barrington Meyer. No, oh. the lab, the scientist, his dad, uh, Matthew's, Professor Howard, not Matthew's dad, the um, Liam yeah. Howard, um, Howard, yeah, right? Liam Howard, the Howard, yeah. So the Howard, <laughs> the Howard. <laughs> um, yeah. He starts talking about, um, and it, you kind of connect the dots here, even if you could during all the chaos. Um, but he starts talking about the Irish giant, which is this thing they found, and like he was talking about that he took like a sample from. The fossil of the Irish giant, which is why Rebecca was snooping around um, the fossil department so much, um, and he created what he's created from this Irish giant, which is interesting um, because it means that they've kind of taken like a, a small little thing from Resident Evil Four. I'm so glad out of everyone that pointed out, James, it was you. I love that. <laughs> the fact that the newest fan to the series. I'm so glad. Yeah, what a cool reference. That that there's brought back in. There's some progenitor in this like yeah. giant fossil. I was like, yeah, I thought that was really neat. Like the trap room with the descending ceiling is a really cool, obvious reference. But this one was one for the super nerds. I was like, <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I, I found it so so neat, and it made it. I thought that that was the strongest part of the story for me because because they just connected to all the other games uh, mm. so like so well. And I, as somebody who wants something from re4 <laughs> so hard like i want like fossils to be a thing um yeah. in the in the, in the future of resident evil and it to be something that's way older than we expect it to be um yeah i found that pretty cool um but as everybody else has said the oh, it was very hard for me to keep up with act two i've watched this show four times now um and even on my fourth time it was very hard for me to keep up um and every time like a romance scene came on, my brain would turn off. <laughs> and then the next scene would come on and I'd need to turn my brain on again to see what was happening. Um 
Yeah, and as, as Steve said earlier on, like, uh, is it? Uh, I think it's Rin As- Asuka, the person that plays mm-hmm. Rebecca Chambers. She embodies Rebecca Chambers like so well. Um, she's for me, she's the best character like on the stage for me in terms of surprising how she nobody. And I know, <laughs> but no, but in a way, like that's me, a Rebecca Chambers fan, saying that an actor who's portraying Rebecca Chambers is doing a good job. Like, so it's like, you know, I could just say she's bad, but she does a fantastic job, like mm-hmm. of of characterizing her. Um, even though I have problems with her writing, I did like mm-hmm. how she acted acted her. Um, in terms of the end, um, I you guys didn't like the Mister X scene very much, but I actually liked it. I, I tell you what, I thought it was goofy. Um, and- <laughs> yeah, we skipped over a little bit, but we're talking about you know, and I agree that the zombies coming out of nowhere sucked. But a lot of the zombie acting was actually mm. really quite good. And to be fair, the tyrant, it was a little bit goofy in places, but the actual motions of the actor yeah. had it down. Like the, the the sprinting full tilt and the sort of turning in the way that their body moves and then their head. Uh, is he was very game accurate, so I'll certainly give them that. Yeah, he was like moving. Somehow he mm. was moving slowly, and but he wasn't like it was. I don't know. He was some kind of magician on that stage. I, I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how he did it. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you know, I, I I will stop. I will stop eventually. But um, there was a scene because I, I agree with you say about Rector Ezra. Um, I thought that he was a bit of a non-character. He didn't really need to be there. He was trying to instill emotion. Again, trying to force emotion into the viewer. Um, mm. But I I didn't super connect with him too much. And the reason why that was... I did it in Act 1, but I couldn't in Act 2 because then we went into another backstory. Another yeah, flashback. That was weird. Right? Of him talking about, like... Oh, I don't know. I don't even know. It was something about the Irish War or something. No, Italian. It's an, Italian uh, soldiers and all this. Yeah, it was I, very, very weird, out of nowhere, yeah. had no real significance to anything. Yeah, but then, then he brings it back right at the end. Like he's just mm. he walks from stage left, well, main uh, main four left, like onto the stage, and he he like he he sees an umbrella i thought that was a really cool scene the um, like the actual prop the umbrella burnt um mm-hmm. and like um mary gray's arm just sitting there like next to it which is pretty grim <laughs> but then he he picks it up and like there's an orbital strike or something i don't know uh, kind of know. pins pinpoints him but then it goes back uh, he, he did just, a- just an aside i want to say that's peak bsaa logic isn't it they'll send in three guys <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, Sophie, Chris, Pierce, uh, to clear our building. Uh, you know what? Let's just get the satellite laser on it. You know what? Let's just, just, just call it a day, lads. It's all, it's, it's all, it's all effed up now. Let's just <laughs> let's just send in the orbals. Oh, well, we tried. Yeah, um, but his acting again—you could probably tell that he's like a seasoned, you know, play actor, mm. right? Because he puts his all into that. Um, mm. Which he brought me back into his character, and I cared a little bit more about him there, but. That is, there's a lot more to say because there's so much chaos with this, but I just don't yeah. want to get into it because th- those are kind of my biggest um, negatives and my biggest positives, ab- positives about it. And I, I do, I wish this was brought to the Western world, but at the same time, I understand why it wasn't. Mm. I, I have an issue with um, the cliffhangers, a great example of a scene that does it, but there's a lot of them where 
it, it's a, it seems to be a thing in Japanese writing and storytelling in general where characters just need to like philosophize yeah. and they just sort of ramble on and on about without really much substance to it it's like you really all you're doing is saying a bunch of theoretical stuff and a bunch of words and it's, it's an issue that I take with a fair amount of Japanese storytelling you know I'm known for my disinterest in you know some of the Kingdom Hearts games and some of the Final Fantasy games because it's just characters waffling about nothing um, I mean it's, it, it is at Philosophy University I guess well <laughs> that's exactly it's named after his true passion which is just trying to be like a Metal Gear Solid character <laughs> Uh, <laughs> talking and not actually saying anything um yeah so that 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 i found that to be a struggle throughout the show because there's a fair bit of it dotted in their characters talking about stuff and it's like why don't you actually talk about the situation at hand instead of just waffling for five minutes about nothing in particular but there you go and now reading the file mail to chris from resident evil 2 1998 iggy kid who you can find at idkvoice.com Federal Police Department, Internal Investigation Report. Mr. Chris Redfield, Raccoon City Police Department, Stars Division. As per your request, we have conducted our internal investigation and discovered the following information. Regarding the G-Virus currently under development by Umbrella Incorporated, so far, it is unconfirmed that the G-Virus even exists. We're continuing with our investigation. Regarding Mr. Brian Irons, Chief of the Raccoon City Police Department. Mr. Irons has allegedly received a large sum of funds and bribes from Umbrella Incorporated over the last five years. He was apparently involved in the cover-up of the Mansion Lab case, along with several other incidents in which Umbrella appears to have direct involvement. Mr. Irons had been arrested under suspicion of rape on two separate counts during his years as a university student. He underwent psychiatric evaluation as a result of the charges but was released due to circumstantial evidence as well as his phenomenal academic standing. As such, extreme caution is advised when dealing with him. Jack Hamilton, Section Chief, Internal Investigations, United States Federal Police Department. You've touched on characters, so that actually happens to be the next thing to talk about everyone's takes on the cast who stood out, for better and for worse. For the record, Rector Ezra, uh, Sonny Chiba, the actor, actually, yes, he's uh, definitely the biggest, I would say, most well-known actor of that cast inside and actually outside of Japan. He was in uh, Fast and Furious 3, and he was in the Kill Bill films, um, which is cool. Oh, so, yeah, he was, I thought I yeah, recognised him. He's the sword smith, I guess, that gives yeah. him a blade or whatever. It's been a long time since I've seen them, but yes... Um, He's great. He's he, he. You're right. He absolutely puts everything into that role. It's just a shame that that role doesn't really go anywhere. As Steve sort of alluded to, his son unalives himself, and then we just Why? kind of move on. And it's like, eh, okay. They have one argument, an admittedly stressful situation. Yeah, and, it's uh, bizarre. Uh, uh, why? What? Why? <laughs> why he do? Why he do what he do? <laughs> Sherwin, what did you think of uh, characters? Any high or low lights? I think the actors did well with what they were given, and I think you know, in terms of actual, so yeah, from an acting perspective, fine. Yeah. Uh, from a character perspective, as I've already said, Chris I liked for being completely generic. Uh, literally, cardboard <laughs> cutout could be more interesting. Uh, it's interesting that you put in Sophie instead of Jill. Uh, would mm. be a really obvious switch you could make. <laughs> they do um, that a lot, huh? 
kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's just the, again that's the Resident Evil theme, isn't it? So <laughs> that's fine. Um, I think it's a really. <laughs> this sounds horrible. It's possibly true. I think this is. It's a really sad statement for anything that you make when the most interesting character is posh. <laughs> and that's the and, and I should probably leave it there because I kind of feel like that's enough of a point. Posh has more characterization, more interesting screen time. He says stage time, uh, whatever is appropriate, yeah. um, than any other character. <laughs> and, he certainly uh, gets a lot to do and say. Yeah, uh, and I think more effort is put into bringing that character to life than most of the other new ones or most of anybody else. Uh, I think there's a whole bunch of assumption it does on you know who these characters are, so we're just going to play to their stereotypes, or we're going to play to who they are, and so on. That's not enough. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. Posh Brown, we haven't really talked about it too much, but I mean, James, obviously you talked about a little bit of it. It's it's incredibly cringeworthy to me. Uh, I I really like his first appearance, as you said, and then after that, I just was like, no, I hate this, and I actually hate it so much that I kind of love it. It's so dumb. I'm like, this is so stupid. But clearly, Posh Brown is the best thing about this because how does this even exist? It's yeah, it's it's a it's a whole thing. Uh, Steve, how do you feel about the the core, the core cast? I generally speaking, I, this, this strange motivation throughout this entire thing. It feels like the more basic ones, like you know Barrington Meyer, like he wants money, so he's trying to basically make it so the whole thing's covered up. Okay, I get it. He's also boring as. Uh, but that, that's besides the point. <laughs> and then you've got then you, you've got Chris. Chris is like, I am Chris Redfield. Hi, tips hat. I am from that series Resident Evil. Do you know who I am? Tips hat again. You know, Pierce <laughs> is an asshole for reasons I can't probably discern. There are a lot more negative in this than they are in RE6. It feels like they feel hostile when they're with anybody. Mm. It, uh, maybe it's just the way the character portrays it. They kind of have a hostile energy. I no, um, I, I get completely what you mean, but I think it's the actors who actually went aggressive with their lines rather than them being yeah. aggressive. I, I, it's again, it's like Matthew when they do that thing. They, they, they mm. uh, yeah, like I, I still can't comprehend why because they can't. They, they argue with the father, and I the the arch the archetypal villains of this entire story, like Liam, like he's actually interesting in that regard because. He's doing this to basically resurrect his son, who has already appeared in front of him and said, Dad, I'm alive. Check me out. I'm alive. It's cool. And he just, I guess, snaps uh, and, and carries on with the research. Uh, Ezra's actually in on it, isn't he, to a degree? He's, he's wanting to do, like, his... But yes. it's, not, it's not bioweaponry. It's, I want to basically increase the human mind. I want to make it so people can become even more intelligent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously that pays off really well with Mary Gray, who is essentially... Um, is it a psychopath who doesn't value any life but is just a, a, an unhinged lunatic um, who kills her two school friends because she can't get a date one of them? <laughs> yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Rebecca's just trying to figure out what's happened to a person she met in Minnesota once as dad. And, uh, and, and that occurs. Uh, meanwhile, so, Tyler is there. by the way, is what you're looking for. That's the one. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was psychopath or sociopath. <laughs> And then Tyler's just like, I am miserable, and now I am not because I have friends and I have had a fight with Chris Redfield from Resident Evil TM. <laughs> uh, you know, which is, I feel like I'm being really harsh to it, but I understood most of the arcs. It's just the villains were kind of like they were doing villain things, but I feel like, but why? Why were you doing that, Liam? Mm. 
Why were you doing that, Ezra? Mary, what the hell are you doing? Get off the top of the stage. Yeah. And I still enjoyed it. As for Posh Brown, like, I get it. He's a comic relief character. I, I actually can fully believe in the Resident Evil universe that there would be a trumped-up security guard who's a bit of a creep at university who's a complete new total coward. But that might be because I've had experiences with uh, those kind of people in power who are absolutely really, really not up to the job in real life. <laughs> so that's yeah. almost authentic in portrayal. Maybe not the nipple rubbing. That might be a bit cringe. Um, and then he obviously has his moment where he dies, saves the day from the evil Barrington Smythe Meyer or whatever the frig is, you know, the, the guy who just wants money, boring. So, standout character then, shocking enough, is Rebecca Chambers, because she acts like you'd expect her to be, as a, uh, a teacher figure, and actually grieves when she's seeing students who she's likely known for only a handful of months getting shot to bits. Like, she's very hesitant, and she's trying to save them. Seems to be the only person who cares about the students in the entire affair, other than Ezra's, like, I want super genius ones. So, yeah, a standout character. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a weird place because I kind of like Tyler Howard and Sophie Home as these additional characters fleshing out a little bit of, you know, the BSAA and the US government side of things. But I recognise that they are both extremely generic. That's the thing. I, I completely forgot Sophie. She's just there. She's, She's just there. Yeah, love and with I mean, yeah not, not to be nasty, but, you know, uh, she's just there to be a, a, a lady who Pierce flirts with and I was cries say, over posh. Yeah, she's there to hit on Pierce, uh, and he's too polite to tell her that he's in love with Chris Redfield, so <laughs> that's awkward. Um, <laughs> James, how do you feel about the... I know you touched on some of them, but any more thoughts on the characters before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, I mean, Rebecca Chambers is standout for me. She never put, yeah. she never put down that file of facts. Um, she always had it. Um, even in the, even in the flashback to Resident Evil One, she had it in her hand. Um, yeah. I appreciate that because I don't know why. It just seems like yeah, Rebecca Chambers. She's always going to have a file of facts. Why don't you just give her a you know an an unarmed proficiency in file of facts? You know, um, she's she's from the Beverly Crusher school of like of, uh, of, stop, of stage pro, stage props. Like yeah. always has one in hand. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, I said it earlier on, but um, you know, and we've we've spoken about Rebecca Chambers a lot. But I, I think the standout person that I did like, other than the romance scenes, um, that I did like to see was um, was Mary Gray. Um, like I, I I liked the scenes that she was in. She played mm. she played what and you know I'm just this is just she played the weirdo very well, um, and then turning into a sociopath and you know typical resident evil bad guy i'll give props also to liam howard the scientist like because he also even though it didn't make any flipping sense that he was literally looking at his son was going my son is dead you know um it didn't make any sense but at the same time when he kind of completely loses the plot and starts to change um, he did well too. Uh, everyone else, you know, peers is peers. Chris is boring. Um, should have stayed in Europe banging those babes, to be honest. Um, 
That's I, the Chris Life story, though. That's just <laughs> every time he appears. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like, Sophie, for me, is forgettable. In fact, I forgot she was in the play several times while I was mm-hmm. watching it. Um, actually, I completely... I mentioned Lucas once. He was one of those, like like add-ons that wasn't really needed there was a lot of characters that were added like olivia wasn't needed either i agree but if if they weren't there what is mary's motivation at all right no true um it could have then maybe it could have been it could have been written better like like a more cohesive at the same time i have got written down here too that there must have been mistranslations um for the subtitles because sometimes there would be complete like scenes where I say scenes, like some scenes of scenes where we wouldn't even get words, so we don't know what was said. Um, you know, and as we know, like there can be like big mistranslations between um, right. Japanese to English. So, you know, we might have not got the full. Um, yeah, we can only take it from what we're, you know, seeing again. Yeah. It's just like, yeah it's hard it could to be a total love story about Tyler and. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, I thought the I thought the zombies did fantastic as well. Um mm-hmm. yeah, they they were really good zombies. I love there was a there was one scene oh yeah, there was a detective, Barrington, who was boring as as AF. Like it was just uh but there was a scene with him, him and Sophie, also known as Ada, were coming down the stairs. <laughs> And they he he shoots over a shoulder and shoots the two the four zombies again because they weren't quite dead and it was like really well choreographed. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I really like that bit. It really really, really touched a, a funny button in my head. Yeah, it's funny actually. We made it all the way to this point without uh, James. You just mentioned it finally, but the uh, the re one flashback, which is yeah. a really neat little moment. I like I can't that. Believe we mention it until now it says a lot about the power of like nostalgia doesn't it that i saw that rebecca acta in that outfit and i was oh. my heart was like oh <laughs> I, I was like i want that outfit get me that outfit <laughs> yeah so there is that but yeah it's it's a neat little thing and again it's just sort of like to loop us back to where we started okay like just a great example of moving the way they move through scenes the way transition things is really really cool so uh, at least deserves a shout out to have that moment there you go. Um, yeah, let's do some conclusions. Let's wrap this baby up. Um, Steve, final thoughts on the stage. I, All of my gripes aside, and I'm sure I've had a few, you have to bear with me, listener. I'm not very well at the time of recording. Um, I actually had a fun time with this. Like, mm-hmm. I, can, I can safely say I probably grasped about 80% of the story, uh, but I, I, I had a fun time. I won't say I'm going to go out of my way and watch it again and again and again and again. But in terms of Resident Evil media that isn't a video game, it's it's a solid enough one-time watch. You know, y- you may uh, have trouble with some certain characters, you know, Posh Brown being a bit of a creep, Barrington Meyer being a git. But overall, it's, it's okay. But the same token, if this was like... I feel like this could have been honed a bit more. Because there is a lot of pointless action sequences. For example, the dad's number... Yes, I get it. In a stage show, you need to maybe offer a bit of variety, or this might have been. I mean, the version we watched may have had like intermissions and stuff for the actual audience to go and stretch, and this would in a way to either ease them in or ease them out. Mm. You know, it's it's okay. If anything, it's it's nice to see that we can somehow get a person on straight on stage in a BSAA uniform. Go, that's Chris Redfield, and 
boy, that sure is Chris Redfield. Uh, as for all the unique characters that are introduced that would never be seen of again, feels like it could have been a Revelations game in that regard. <laughs> It's it, it's just fine, and I think it's novel that the concept of Resident Evil has made it to the stage, and it's not a complete glow-in-the-dark dumpster fire. Mm. Uh, Showin, final thoughts on the stage? Interesting. It's I've been very, very critical of it, and it's interesting because ultimately... Sorry, you have to excuse me again. Much like Steve, I am somewhat ill. I, uh, I think, for all its faults... And I wouldn't recommend anyone goes to watch this. I wouldn't recommend that it's something you would watch as a... You know, oh, I love Resident Evil. You'd have to be a really hardcore fan. Someone who listens to this podcast or is on this podcast to actually really <laughs> you know, interact with this thing, I think. It's not really a good recommendation in that respect. But there's something oddly charming about it. Mm. And that's the that's the thing that... you know. My, I initially bounced quite hard off of this, you may have guessed. Uh, I initially watched this and went, okay... Yeah, that wasn't really a good use of my time. You know, whatever. But thinking about it over the last few days, it is something where it's oddly charming that it existed in the first place. It's mm-hmm. oddly charming that it that it's a thing that you can go and check out and observe. It's kind of cool that yeah, Resident Evil made it to a stage in some respect, much like what Steve was just saying. And ultimately, you know look at what got us here in the first place look at the very first Resident Evil and the hammy acting in that it's not any worse than that yeah. it is something where it is ultimately in some respects well actually in a lot of respects it feels very very Resident Evil it's got not necessarily hammy acting but you know it's got a lot of what Resident Evil sort of touch points are and ultimately you can't really get away from that stuff like for all for better or worse they're all there so that does make it a unique experience um yeah literally that yeah i am in total agreement charming is certainly a word that i've gotten written down definitely in the same way in it in its own sort of form in the way that something like gaiden is where it's like you kind of like it because of the attempt there was an attempt and it's sort of a noble attempt it's not amazing by any stretch it is overstuffed the pacing is weird it is too long it's a stage show that's probably going to happen there's yeah there's a lot of issues with it and we've all drawn negatives certainly from it that being said it is a really interesting contribution to this era of resi one of the last contributions to that era as well and the only things that came out after this before resident evil 7 are umbrella core and vendetta um so in a weird way looking back at this now and this is why i mentioned before about the music and the the typefaces they use and stuff it gives me a little bit of nostalgia for that sort of worldwide bioterror stuff they were doing in that era. It's, uh, it's like a lost story from that part of Resident Evil. Um, and despite all of its flaws, its novelty... We haven't covered the CGI films yet, we'll get there one day. But uh, in, in many ways, I will take the novelty of this over the bread source that is most of the CGI films. Because at least with this, yeah, there's some charm and there's like a... I don't know, there's just something about it that's just really unique. Uh, James, final thoughts on the stage. Yeah, I really like that you made that comparison there between yeah the CGIs and, and this show. Because I, if you gave me a choice, I would watch this show over the CGIs. Um, yeah, any day pretty much. Because yeah, I, I don't really... They, they, they do feel 
like and this is this isn't a this isn't a, a podcast about CGI's, but they feel out of the canon. Where this, even though it was all over the place, it, there, it, it did still feel like it was within the canon. Like I was still in the world of Resident Evil. Um, <sighs> conclusions about this. I really, really wish it went international in some respect, even for a limited. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it not wasn't necessarily in English, like in some other language i think having like different languages like in in stuff gives you new perspective um and my time kind of playing the uh fromsoft games dark souls dark souls 3 Elden ring etc like the translations that you get often give you a whole new perspective Mm. um on a piece of media and i really would have liked to see that new perspective with this because I think mm. it, it, I think I would have enjoyed it even more than I did. I did enjoy this. I did enjoy the stage. It was, but it was really chaotic, and there was so much going on that my simple brain couldn't quite keep up with a lot of stuff. But there were some real gems in this show, and I would recommend this to people who are who enjoy Resident Evil. If you enjoy certain characters, you enjoy Chris, you enjoy uh, Piers, you enjoy Rebecca Chambers. Um, or you enjoy creepy dudes in anime, you might enjoy this show. <laughs> um, yeah, but it may it may it may bring you to the same realization that you just would have you would have wished that you could have watched it in another language at least um, mm. to get that other perspective. But otherwise, a fantastic performance by uh, most of the characters. <laughs> yeah, and additionally, also as we started off positively talking about them, the crew as well. It's worth yeah. watching for the really interesting set and all the stuff that they do that's really intriguing that might potentially keep you invested even if the story doesn't for example Um, if you are listening to this and you haven't watched Biohazard the stage uh, speaking of international release I don't think you'd ever got a Blu-ray release outside of Japan obviously if you're going to buy the Japanese version you probably have to buy a Blu-ray player to play it on as well Uh, but it is on YouTube right now as we talk. It might not be on there forever. So if you are listening to this and the podcast makes you curious about Biohazard Stage, I would say seek it out whilst you can because who knows, it might not be on YouTube forever. Um, hopefully it doesn't become a lost piece of Resident Evil media in that way. But there you go. Regardless, nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors, our patrons and our listeners. Join the First Aid Spray Discord server to become part of our community and hear the show early and unedited. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, etc. All of these links and all of our content can be found at fasprepod.com. You can listen to the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes and all good podcasting apps. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review where you can and spread the good word. Don't forget you can support the show by picking up some merch or at patreon.com forward slash FA spray pod for as little as one dollar a month in our next episode we'll be sitting down for a long-awaited discussion from both listeners and panelists point of view as we celebrate 25 years of the original 1998 version of resident evil 2 oh yes it's finally time Thank you to the panel. You can follow all the Pueblo people individually. I'm at Sinyak underscore one, two, three. Steve is at FB. Steve was taken. Sherwin is at Sherwin's Agenda. And James is at Moist Owlets OFF. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. Hello, everybody.
everybody, and welcome to the Super Sound of the 70s. I'm Steve, and my voice is broken. <laughs> the Super Sound of the 70s. I am just a Not that regular sound. It's a, it's a Pulp Fiction reference. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, the it's, 70s it's a, is a fireball era. Is what you're saying? Uh, <laughs> very, a, a great point and very well made. <laughs> Brian, blessed. Oh, uh, someone go and give Steve a hug. No, I'll catch what he's got. Uh, and, and you, and you were our only hope, much like Obi Wan Kenobi. So, uh, yeah. Sorry, Sorry Steve. I can, I can go back to 2006 and give you a cyber hug. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I appreciate the that's thought. That's oddly specific. Well, I mean, that's what we used to me. say back in 2006 for some reason. Now, that was the era of the glomp, wasn't it? It was, <laughs> and raw, I'm a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more interested in, well, I mean, obviously that is fascinating in its own way, but I am, I'm interested, did 2007 roll around, you guys are like, cyber hugs are so over. 